Hello, this is Gary Naylor. Just when I thought that I had covered everything concerning this Tabernacles Pentecost, stacking on top of a Hezekiah double portion of unleavened bread, just when I thought I understood it, I was on the phone with a gentleman just a couple of days ago, and he shared something with me that <laughs> is most interesting, quite confirming, and brings an element of government that is really inquiring. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. This gentleman is fairly new in understanding bride and finds it quite interesting. But there's one thing that he is very experienced in, far more than me, and that is the Hebraic feasts. And I was talking with him about a double-delayed Passover, or unleavened bread, and about a Tabernacles Pentecost, which is new to him, of course, but just in talking about Pentecost, he is quite aware of it. And he pointed out something that was very interesting and very hopeful. And let me tell you what that was. I kept telling him about how the Tabernacles Pentecost stacks on an unleavened bread right in the middle, and it was on May 31. And he kept saying, oh, yes, Shavuot. And I thought, what? And he kept speaking it in our conversation. And I asked him, well, what is it? What were you talking about? And he said, oh, yeah, that's Pentecost. And that's, of course, the Hebrew word, Shavuot. I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. And finally, in the midst, really towards the end of the conversation, I found out what he was actually saying. Because I was telling him that this Tabernacles Pentecost, and hopefully you've listened to the last two podcasts, particularly the last one, where you add a Pentecost to Tabernacles, and it goes back towards Passover. And I told him that it falls on May 31. He said, oh, yes, Shavuot. And I thought, okay, yes, yes, it is Pentecost. Finally, I understood what he was saying. This man follows the Hebraic calendar and has for years. So when I told him it was a Tabernacles Pentecost that fell on May 31, and he kept saying, oh, yes, Shavuot, it finally dawned on me that he was saying, now, are you ready for this? That our Tabernacles Pentecost is falling on the Hebrew Shavuot Passover Pentecost. <laughs> that blew my mind. That our Tabernacles Pentecost, falling on May 31 of 2017, is exactly when the Hebraic Pentecost falls on May 31, 2017. Ah, that was wonderful to consider. Now, I think governmentally, I think patterns, I think of how things function and how they work together when you got a breach and such things as that. And the question that I kept raising in my mind was, well, what is the significance of this? Why would Yahweh, here in 2017, introduce a feast that has never been held before, Tabernacles Pentecost, or let's say this, it has never been fulfilled. 
a Tabernacles Pentecost, and it lands on the same day as the Hebraic Pentecost. And my my mind was going, why? Why would Yahweh do this? And it actually was not until just before I sat down here to make this recording for you, I realized what it could very well be. You see, the way the church is, is that Pentecost was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Whenever the former rain came on Peter and the 120, then it turned to 3,000. That was fulfilled. Then came a breach. That breach has been going on for 2,000 years. It brings us to today. And we need the fulfillment of that which began 2,000 years ago. Now, the way a breach operates is, this is very interesting, a breach separates two things that actually go together. Do you understand that? They actually are supposed to meet. If you took a sentence and broke it up and typed things in between there, in reality, if you take those middle things out and put the sentence back together, it's a complete sentence. And that's what you have with the kingdom of heaven. It began with the first remnant, with the former reign. It breached. You have the body of Christ. The next one is the second bride, if you would. And that's the fulfillment of that which began 2,000 years ago. Now, if you take the breach of Christianity out, then we're talking about a work that received its power on the day of Pentecost. And then here you've got another work, the second remnant, that we need another Pentecost, but a Tabernacles Pentecost, not a Passover Pentecost. I was telling this gentleman, he kept saying another Pentecost. I said, no, it's not just the old two loaves of leavened bread Pentecost, because that's what that first Pentecost was. A Passover Pentecost is two loaves of leavened bread that you cannot offer up to God. And so that was a determined failed work. So what we have to have is another Pentecost. Pentecost actually means 50. And so what we need is the fulfillment today, but it cannot be associated with Passover. It has to be associated with a tabernacles, a tabernacles Pentecost. You see, there are two feasts that have basically been fulfilled. There's Passover and Pentecost. And we need that which comes with tabernacles. And what we find, of course, is that we are stacking on a Passover and unleavened bread in May 24 through June 7. And I might say that there is something significant about June 7. I'll try to put that in this podcast as well. Now, what we have then is the merger of two feasts. So that we have a Tabernacles Pentecost going all the way to an unleavened bread. And we've already talked about it falling in the middle. But what is even more profound Not only is it in the middle of that double portion Hezekiah's unleavened bread, but we're talking about the Hebraic Pentecost falling on the exact 
day as our Tabernacles Pentecost on the exact day. Go to Google, and all you have to do is type in Shavuot, which is S-H-A-V-U-O-T, 2017. You're going to see it being May 30 through June 1. Other Hebraic calendars show it on May 31. But this one, it's a two-day feast, but it's actually a one-day feast. It depends on which Jew you talk to about that, basically. I'm being very simple about it. But it is a May 31 feast. So, what might be so significant about this? What might Yahweh be showing us and testifying to legally? Let me suggest this. By the Hebrewic Pentecost, falling on May 31, and our Tabernacles Pentecost, falling on May 31, you would, in truth, be saying that the breach is repaired. Do you understand that? The breach is repaired, and we are now proceeding from where we left off 2,000 years ago. That seems to be the one conclusion that one could come to. And that Yahweh God is repairing the breach by stacking the Hebraic Pentecost on our Tabernacles Pentecost on the exact same day, May 31, 2017. I don't know how to calculate it, but what's the chance of that happening? In my view, it takes the sovereign God who knows the end from the beginning, and he designed it all. It gives me great hope that Yahweh is indeed repairing the breach. Now, what is going to happen on that day? I can tell you what I hope it is. I hope that since it is a Pentecost, we then get the latter rain on May 31. If we get the latter rain on May 31, the world will never, ever be the same again. And why would he overlap it by one day? That's just the way of Yahweh. He overlaps time. He stacks like the eighth day on the seventh. And that's what we seem to be having here, where we have an overlap of one day, an overlap of a feast. And that seems to be what Yahweh is evidencing. And the governance of it is profound. So this is just one more amazing element added to this testimony. Now, I had mentioned June 7, that it was of some significance. I mentioned before that June 6 is when I married my wife. And that was in 1969. Now, the fact of the matter is, we did not consummate our marriage relationship on June 6. We did not consummate our marriage relationship until June 7. Now, very briefly, in 2009, we met in Colorado, 
And on June 6, I knelt down between two gentlemen. I'm just talking about as an intercessor, okay? Intercession is unique. And what I'm getting ready to tell you was an intercession where you walk out something that is to be fulfilled. So I knelt down between two gentlemen as a testimony of Yeshua with his two-part bride. My wife and I, upon our marriage in Lubbock, Texas, we drove to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Regarding the intercession, we were in Colorado at that time. The next day, we went out to Colorado Springs to a place called Red Rock Canyon. And we were inclined, and you can read about this uh, on the blog. It's called June 6 and 7, 2009. On June 14 is the date of this entry. But we walked out an intercession, and I won't go through it all. We walked out an intercession where I passed between the covenant parts just like the smoking oven and the burning torch passed between the covenant parts. So it was very significant to us that we had walked out this intercession on June 7, and now to realize that the last two days of this double portion unleavened bread are in fact June 6 and June 7. Not only is it significant in that it's when I married my wife and consummated the marriage the next day on June 7, but it's also significant that we walked all of this out in an intercession on June 6 and 7 in Colorado. And here the last two days of this double portion unleavened bread are June 6th and June 7th. Just throwing that in, it is very significant to us, especially those who walk through the intercession and people who understand what intercession is. But again, in summary, if we receive the latter rain, I can tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be repairing the breach. It's going to be the overlap of a Hebraic Pentecost and a Tabernacles Pentecost that is unique strictly to the bride. Nobody in the world has ever considered it. It is the overlapping of those which speaks to the repairing of the breach where the two are united as one. Now, that is the most important thing I wanted to share with you in this podcast and has great promise. And I wanted you to understand beforehand what we would be looking at. But again, we still drive this vehicle with the front windshield painted. We have an understanding of what could very well lay ahead before us, but we have to wait and see what time will bring. I can tell you this is a wonderful testimony, and if it's fulfilled, it is very, very profound. Now, as a bonus, I'm going to cover something here that I've mentioned before, but I directed you to a writing, and it has to do with this matter of counting three 49-day periods to get to a Tabernacles Pentecost. As you remember, we looked at Tabernacles and counted forward three 49s which takes us to that date of 
May 31. So why three counts of 49 days? In Deuteronomy 16, 9 and 10, it states that that count is a count of 49 days and then there's Pentecost. Yet, in Leviticus 23, 15 through 16, we find that it is a count of 49 days plus another count of 49 days. And then there is Pentecost. Regarding various fulfillments of these two contradicting passages, and this is the wonder of Yahweh's word, is that the passage in Deuteronomy was fulfilled after Yeshua's death. He came back, count of 49 days, when they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell upon them on Pentecost, and that fulfilled the Deuteronomy passage. But when the Israelites came out of Egypt on Passover, it tells us in Exodus 19.1 that in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. In other words, at Passover, two months later, remember it says in the third month, Passover's in the first month. Two months later, they came to Sinai on the very same day as when they left. In other words, they entered into Sinai at Passover two months later. Now, the significance of this is that two months later is two thirties or 60 days. It was immediately after that, that Moses went up on the mountain a sixth time. And that is when he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. He then came down after those 40 days. Well, let, let's, let's back up. We're now talking about 100 days down the road from when they left Egypt. And this would put them at the time of Pentecost. And it's well acknowledged that when Moses came down off the mountain, after that sixth trip, and 3,000 were slain, it is widely accepted that that was Pentecost. And what we're looking at is 30 days and 30 days, and now 40 days up on the mountain, so we're talking about 100 days. What does that mean? That means that the Pentecost that they celebrated at that point was in fact a Pentecost according to Leviticus 23, where you have two 49s. Do you understand what I'm saying? When Yeshua left, they had the Pentecost according to Deuteronomy 16. But the testimony that we have in the pattern of the trip into the wilderness is that it is two periods of time, two 49s, in which Pentecost now comes after that period of basically 100 days. So do you see that? So we see the fulfillment of both of these in these two separate occasions. So does it end there? No, not at all. We've got two more steps to go through. Yahweh becomes angry with the sons of Israel. 
because of their sins. After he killed the 3,000, Moses went up on the mountain a seventh time. And when he was up there, Yahweh said that I'm going to send an angel. In other words, in the next chapter, he says, I am not going with you. I will send the angel. He called the people to repentance to put off their jewelry. Mm, That's a good thing for women to hear. And Moses turned to Yahweh and said something very important. He said, I want to know your ways. With that, Yahweh repented of what he was going to do and said, I will go with you. And this is what I want you to do. And he sends Moses up on the mountain one more time, 40 days and 40 nights again. So there's going to be a repeat, a very important repeat, because Yahweh is now changing his mind and he's going to fulfill what he originally planned. Thus, he tells Moses to go back up on the mountain another time. This will be the eighth trip up the mountain, eighth and final for Moses. He tells him to carve out two tablets because the others were broken. Moses goes up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. He writes down the law again. It's necessary because there would have been no law in the Ark of the Covenant if he had not. And Moses comes down off the mountain with his face glowing. Now, that's another trip up the mountain. That's two trips up the mountain for 40 day and 40 night fasts. So is that all there was? No. Well, we find that there is another, the one who is the prophet like Moses, as declared in Acts chapter 3. When the lame man was healed, Peter made a second declaration, a second speech, if you would. And he said in it that Yahweh God would raise up a prophet like Moses in He will restore all things. It's a time of refreshing. This is not Yeshua, folks. There is only one prophet like Moses, and that was Elijah. You see, Elijah went up on that same mountain 600 years later, and he fulfilled the promise that was given to Moses of standing beside him on a rock, Yahweh passing by, putting his hand over the rock so he couldn't see, then removing it and seeing Yahweh's back. In other words, what he has already done. That's the promise that we have to have today for the Elijah company. You see, that promise was made to Moses. It's the same promise that was given to the first remnant. Moses is a type of the first remnant. When you have up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses, Yeshua, and Elijah, you've got the two-part remnant, one on each side of him, and Yeshua in the middle that's laid out in the pattern of bride, body of Christ, bride, but it's also going to be bride, Yeshua, bride. And so Elijah was the prophet like Moses, and he fulfilled that which was promised to Moses. He is the one who went into the cleft of the rock. He is the one that went into the cave. And when he came out, Yahweh told Elijah what he was going to do next. That is what we have to have today. After breach Christianity that has been hidden in the cleft of the rock and cannot see, we, the second remnant, the second bride, are to be able to see what Yahweh is doing as he goes before us 
and actually performs the work for us. It's not just us seeing and understanding. It's that he goes before us and accomplishes what we could never accomplish. Okay, now, I want to try to summarize this. You have two things going on at the same time. They overlap. You have three 49s, and that's what we're talking about. Three 49s. You have three 49s that were fulfilled by Moses in the trip to Mount Sinai. There was the 49 days that was in their travels. There were nine days, and then there were 40 days that Moses was up on the mountain, on that sixth trip up the mountain. You had a nine-day period before Moses went up on the mountain the eighth time. So you see 349s. And it is through these three 49-day periods that we can see that it is not only the testimonies of Deuteronomy 16 and then, of course, Leviticus 23, which is a double 49, but we see in Moses and the sons of Israel that there were three 49s that were carried out there. Ending with, of course, Moses coming down off the mountain with the law of God restored on the tablets and his face was shining. In other words, he would be in a glorified body in type. And in addition to this, we see three trips up the mountain, three 40-day trips up the mountain. Moses performed two of them and Elijah performed the third 600 years later which is what we need today. After 6,000 years of mankind, we need for Yahweh to perform the Elijah work. Elijah is the fulfillment of the promise given to Moses. And we see three 40-day trips up on Mount Sinai. That'd be 40, 40, 40. That'd be 120. What's interesting is that Moses lived to be 120 and there were three 40s and then also Saul reigned for 40 years David reigned for 40 years Solomon reigned for 40 years that was 120 and we've got three trips up the mountain on Sinai that were again 40 40s and 40s I'd say Yahweh's pretty consistent wouldn't you we've had 2,000 years of Christianity they fulfilled the trips of Moses going up on the mountain, but we need the third one, the Elijah. We need that fulfillment today. Of course, reality is this 3,000 year period of mankind is the uniting of the first remnant, Moses, first remnant, and the second remnant, the Elijah, second remnant, united to rule and reign with Yeshua for a thousand years. So, whenever we say, that we're going to have a Tabernacles Pentecost going out three 49-day periods and finding its fulfillment on May 31, 2017. Do you see that we have a clear justification for it? But I'll give you another one. 
And it relates specifically to Elijah. Elijah was up on a mountain, and the king wanted him to come down. So he sent a captain of 50 with his 50. And the captain said, come down, Elijah. Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire fall on you. Boom, he's gone. He and his 50. Another one comes out, speaks more forcefully. Another captain of 50 comes out with his 50. And he speaks more forcefully. Elijah, come down. So what did Elijah say? He said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down on you. Boom, he's gone. Brothers and sisters, you got 2,000 years of Christianity that cannot bring Elijah. They cannot bring forth Elijah, the Elijah work, or the Elijah man, or however you want to say it. They are not capable. Christianity is a failure. What has happened to Christians for 2,000 years is exactly what has happened to the two captains of 50 with their 50. They get eaten up by fire. So, the third captain of 50 with his 50, which is where we are today in timing, uh, he learned a few things from the other two, like we're trying to learn ourselves right now. We learned we cannot be Christians anymore. No, 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 that won't work. You know, they, look, look, where are they? 2,000, where are they? The 2,000 years. Those 2,000 swine have all gone to the sea of death. Is that what you're going to hold to? I mean, are you no wiser than the two captains of 50s with their 50s? Are you no wiser than them? You want to try the same thing that Christianity's been trying for 2,000 years? What results do you think you'll get? Let me suggest to you that you're not going to get the good results that you want. There has to be another work today. And it cannot be the body of Christ. You have to put the body of Christ to sleep, open its side, bring out a rib, and form a bride. That's what has to happen today. This captain of 50 with his 50 came with a little bit different attitude. Oh, please, uh, come down, please, would you? So Elijah comes now. He goes to the king. Brothers and sisters, that's what we have to have today. We have to have a different work. We have to have a work that has the authority and the timing and the government, and if I may say, even the sexual identity of a bride in order to birth Emmanuel back to this earth that can only be done by the prophet like Moses that is an Elijah work. This is not Christianity, folks. This is not Christianity. They've proven for 2,000 years they can't make it happen. No, we have to have a new work we have to have a bride that comes out of the dead body of Christ. So, we see here then yet another testimony of three periods that must come in order to bring the Elijah, the Elijah work to this earth in order to prepare the way for Emmanuel to come and set up his kingdom and rule and reign for a thousand years. This now completes the first two items that I wanted to cover in this time together. There's one other, and it's again it's dated, because I'm going to be talking about the elections, which 
and recording this broadcast right now are going to take place in four days, counting this day. So by the time you get this, you probably already know the outcome of the elections. But let me tell you something. You know, that which has been is that which will be. That which has been done is that which will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. And America is very prophetic. Um, so is Africa. We've got my feet planted in both of those places right now. We know that the bride comes from the body of Christ. And we know that because Eve came from the body of Adam. Yeshua is called the last Adam. And so his body would be the same type, the body of the last Adam. Now, in the curse of 1920, we see that that curse, which is feminism, folks, if you haven't got it down by now, this matter of feminism is the difference between Satan and God. When you talk about a woman wanting the place of a man, that's the same thing as Satan wanting the place of God. So when women want to be equal to the man, it's the same thing as Eve or anybody else wanting to be equal to God. That's what it comes down to. It's real simple, folks. You make it far too complicated. It all boils down to male and female. If you haven't got that, you are not going to understand God. You're not going to understand what he's doing at all. And so what we have going on right now is exactly what I wrote in the book called The Curse of 1920. And what we saw in that book was the course that was followed in order to bring the woman to where she is today, wanting to be like the man. It all started with freeing the black man from slavery. Now, was that a good thing? Yes, it was a good thing. It was a necessary thing. And even our founding fathers knew that that had to take place. They just couldn't deal with it at the time. It was necessary. But we're talking about prophecy now, folks. We're talking about government. You see, the black man comes from Africa, and Africa is cursed. All you have to do is go look at the continent of Africa, and you'll see Satan's face on it. I presented this to the gentlemen in Africa, the pastors and bishops, and they understood entirely that there is a curse upon that continent. They had no problems whatsoever concerning that and still teach it today while I'm gone. They understand. Yahweh told me one day, Africa is Christianity. So when you have the black man to come over here from Africa, he is, in fact, a type of Christianity. And so what was the outcome of these women wanting to free the black man? Well, they got a taste of authority, and so they wanted to have the rights of the man. They wanted to be equal to the man. And so now they have the rights to vote, and you've got more than 3,000 babies killed every day because of feminism and the destructiveness. You do not realize how destructive it is for the woman to have the place of the man in governance. It is totally destructive, and we are at the apex of it right now. I thought that Barack Obama was the fullness of the curse of 1920, but he's not. The fullness of the curse of 1920 would be for a woman to become president, Hillary Clinton. And boy, you talk about corrupt, her and Bill. 
She is the epitome of corruption. We have never seen anybody in the history of the United States to come to this place in which she could step into the office of the president and be so absolutely corrupt. Folks, if you want to know what giving women the right to vote looks like, you put Hillary Clinton in the office of the president and she will destroy this nation. It is most interesting that women got involved in freeing the black man and out of that was birthed this whole thing of feminism. And what do we have today? The exact same thing. We have a black man in office. And what is he wanting to do? Exactly what we've seen in this nation. He wants to birth a female into that office. Folks, wake up. We are destroying our nation. We are walking in a grave curse. Does the bride come out of the body? Absolutely so. But she is different from the body because she will be carried up to heaven and will be glorified with Yeshua. The pattern is right. The female comes out of the male. But in the natural, it is total destruction. Just look at the United Nations. They are total destruction. What is attempted in the natural will always end up in corruption. The body of Christ is a corrupt work. It is a destructive work from the standpoint of the kingdom. It defiles and corrupts the kingdom of God on earth. And the woman coming out of the black man is going to testify to the same thing. It will be the destruction of this nation. What do we need? We need Emmanuel to come back to this earth. And that's what you see in Trump. Trumpets, the man with the head of gold. It's interesting. He's always saying, I'm the messenger. I am the messenger. I am the messenger. Guess why? Today we need the fulfillment of the messenger. We need Elijah. We need that work today like we have never needed it before. Feminism has brought sin and corruption to an entirely new level that has never existed in 2,000 years. It is not only the corruption of the kingdom, it is the corruption now of a nation. America means heavenly kingdom. If you want to see what's happening to the church, all you have to do is look at America and see its corruption. And why? It is exacerbated dramatically by the woman getting the right to govern. We've already seen that Satan is a female role in her relationship to the father, in a wife role in her relationship to the father. And we have bodies today that are given to us, that are birthed to us by Satan. And in the end, he takes them back. Satan's work is increasing all the more as his time runs out. And he's doing it by putting the woman in governance. It's the same thing as Satan taking authority over the works of God. The woman today, the Democrat Party, is a testimony of Satan taking a position that does not belong 
to either one of them. It is usurping God's plan and authority. Oh, you say, well, it's usurping God's plan. It all works together for a purpose. But I can tell you, there is nothing good in Satan other than he is a good devil. He knows what he is doing. If you want the devil, I'm going to tell you straight out. If you want the devil to reign on this earth, then you vote for Hillary Clinton. It's the same thing. Satan is a female role. Now we're going to have a woman in the most powerful nation on this earth. That's what we face. Unless trumpets, the head of gold, can stop it. And it looks like at this point, four days before the election, it could very well be that Yahweh is bringing light. You know, that's the Luke light. That's what we need. What you're hearing right now is light. It's the Luke light, WikiLeaks, what's going on with all these other expositions of her and her corruption and her intentions. It's all coming to light. And it looks like it will stop her. I hope so. Because it will prophesy that the man who is the head of gold, Emmanuel, will stop it. If not, it is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken us? It is giving Satan continued authority over this earth. My hope, spiritually, is that this matter of feminism comes to an end. It is destruction. It is Satan. There is no difference between the two. Feministic government is Satan ruling. Do you understand that? Folks, this is not child's play. This is stark reality. And it has to be stopped. I pray that's what Yahweh does. I pray that Donald Trump, the messenger, who is prophetic of the messenger, the Elijah, that Donald Trump will have victory over Jezebel and that Satan will not birth her into a place of authority as Obama wants to. I pray we get victory. I pray that we get victory just like Esther provided when she touched the head of the rod of the king, had not one wine banquet, but two wine banquets, and got victory over the one who was going to destroy them on a 50 cubits gallo. 50 cubits gallo. We need this last Pentecost period. This last Pentecost work. Not a Passover Pentecost. No way. But a Tabernacles Pentecost. Not 2,000 years, two loaves of leavened bread. But unleavened bread. That's what we need today. And what you're hearing now is truth. And I pray that Yahweh God reverses the curse on mankind, binds Satan, 
that Haman has to lift up the Mordecai and declare this is what the king does for those who are pleasing to him and that Satan have to give up his rights and be hung on his own 50 cubits gallow. I pray that this is the time for that. But I'm going to tell you what my hope is. Barack Obama. His origins are Kenya. His family's roots are Kenya. His father, a Kenyan. He is bringing a curse on this nation. But you know what? God's doing another work. It's beginning in Kenya as well. A year ago, I went to Kenya to meet with a man by the name of Caleb Uguta. And God began planting a seed there that is just incredible. I was there for three months. And in that period of time, I taught 1,200 pastors and bishops. They all accepted and understood and grasped the kingdom of heaven teaching of the bride. And it has spread all across Africa. And now they want me to come back in December and have three bishop conferences throughout Africa and draw all of these bishops together. Folks, Barack Obama has been a curse to this nation. And he testifies of that curse and he testifies of the place of Satan in trying to bring forth a woman. That goes back to 1920 and even before that, of course. We're seeing a different work now coming out of Kenya and it's spread through all of Africa and that is the restoration of the kingdom of heaven. It's the restoration of all things and it's beginning in of all places, the very place where Barack Obama's origins exist. We got two choices today, folks. We've got darkness and we've got light. Hillary Clinton survives. Bill Clinton survives in darkness. WikiLeaks and other things like it are bringing light. That is the work of Satan that has to fail. There's another work. It's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump testifies concerning what that work has to be. That has to be the Elijah. It has to be the return of Emmanuel. It has to be the messenger. That's what we have to have today. And that is what is accepted and is progressing in Kenya and in all of Africa. I long for the day in which it bursts forth out of Africa. You have two African works going on right now. Obama and the bride. Obama and Caleb Oguta and those with him. Which one will win? Which one will prevail? Which one will be victorious? I pray with all my heart that it's going to be the work that began there a year ago and is inflaming people's hearts with the fire of hope and anticipation and purification. That is the work that we need. We do not need a work that is birthed from Barack Obama. 
A female work? Yes. Not a Hillary Clinton darkness work. We need a female work, the bride. The bride whose roots are in the kingdom of heaven. That is what is growing in Africa right now. That is what we need. That is the success and victory we need. May Yahweh fulfill his work. May Yahweh do good on our behalf. And may Yahweh open our eyes to see what is happening. I pray this in the name of Yeshua. God have mercy on us. Amen.